Welcome to episode two of the Electronic Gentleman podcast. In this episode, we talk a little bit about startup money, where it came from, and how we survived without any work to start with. As a reminder, this is just Eric and I spouting off our opinions. This is not an official company podcast in any way, shape, or form. With that being said, we hope you enjoy episode two of the Electronic Gentleman podcast. Welcome to episode two of the Electronic Gentleman podcast. I'm Derek Sample. And I'm Eric Pubins. So in this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about, as I referenced earlier, we decided to bootstrap the company by financing with either our personal finances or proceeds from the company, assuming that proceeds came in um, quickly enough. Eric, was there ever any other consideration as far as financing other than self-funding? There was other things that came up uh, that I remember, none, none that I considered. I'm, I was way into not allowing someone else to own part of the company. Uh, we did, I guess it's in my, in my opinion, there's, there was, there was two things we did. One of them is a very good decision to make. And one of them is a very bad decision to make. The good decision was not to borrow a bunch of money from some investors, other companies owning part of it. Anyone that's going to own a part of your company, which you already don't own, you know, all of when you have partners in the first place. The other one was borrowing money from family. And that's what we did. It was 2009. Um, The banks were not going to loan you a dime unless you could prove to them you had two dimes in your pocket. So we didn't really, we didn't push to do that and went and found some very nice, very generous uh, family members who gave us, we're talking, you know, smallish five figure numbers. Uh, in exchange for a 25% return um, within a year, which we totally did because we're lucky and the right people came to us at the right time. Um, Used the word terrifying earlier and that jumped out at me and I wrote it down. I think everyone felt like that. Um, You know, my wife said she felt safe because we had an emergency fund and that was, uh, that was critical was to be ready to not be paid, you know, to get your, get what's going to be your salary ready for six months, you know, up to six months is probably a good time uh, to be ready for, but it, you know, it depends on how you're living and what you need. Did we ever consider trying to not necessarily get investors uh, that would own part of the company, but did we attempt to try to get loans from the bank in lieu of getting loans from family, or did we not even go down that route because we didn't think it was a, we would have had to put up a lot of our own personal collateral for us to do something like that. And I don't think any of us were looking to do that as a first option. I would have put it up. I just didn't think it was an, I didn't think that it would be enough. Um, And this will come as a huge shock to you. I hate paperwork and I hate complexity. Uh, and just the banks just ask for too much. I mean, you know, we're in a position now where bank, the bank does give us a line of credit that we have to, you know, just, just discuss with them every year. Um, whether, you know, whether we're using it or not, or using any of it or none of it at any given time, they make us do enough paperwork to make me want to not even have it, <laughs> even though, even though it's a safety net. Yeah. Um, I, I get angry. I mean, you know how I am with the bank. Just recently, we, 
set up something new with the bank account. I went in there, took care of it, said, I'll just let me just sign this. And, and I got everyone else's signatures electronically and gave it back. And the first thing they said is, this is no good. We need wet ink. Um, that was enough to make me call three or four other banks and yell about how I was ready to switch yeah. and say, if you guys allow us to sign something like it's 2010 online, not even 2017, 2010. Right. Uh, but instead of saying, no, everyone needs to come in here from all over the country and sign this with a pen. Because well, that, I don't know, that means something. Yeah. And, uh, is that an indicator that it is, is it really that unusual for us to have um, partners or co-signers spread out across the country? Is it that unusual that they either require you all to come into the branch and sign or have to go through what ended up, what ended up being days, um, not even just having us sign with wet ink, signing the same document with wet ink at first, right? We couldn't yeah. just all sign our own copies and send it in. It, we had to FedEx to each other at, at our, obviously at our own cost, just to get things done at the bank. And, and, and remember, uh, we learned how to finally break through that sort of bureaucracy. And it's to ask if, they, if, if, they, if they're interested in keeping your business. The question is, is this your policy or is this a law? <laughs> because, because if it's just their policy, they, they under, they, I think they understood the subtext of, we're going to find a bank that doesn't have this policy if you're going to make me mail a bunch of stuff around or ask people to go into branches. Yeah, it, it was extremely frustrating. So... Um, that's been difficult even now with um, the credit and um, the accounts receivable we can put up against having a line of credit. But back then we had nothing. Um, so I can't imagine the hoops we would have had to jump through um, to get any reasonable line of credit. Um, so when we first started, um, I know I did not have the emergency fund that I think some of the other folks did. I was fortunate at the time that my wife was working, so we had a second income. Um, now, again, that was going to go away as soon as the baby was born, so we were a little bit on a, on a time clock there. And then we did have some money in savings. But the other variable here is that we were all fairly well established in our prior jobs to the point that we were not making entry-level salaries. Um, so when we did decide to start paying ourselves salary, it was going to be, if even if we took considerable pay cuts, it was still going to be a huge monthly nut for us to to cover. Um, and I think our initial plan paying that many at the time it was six. At the time we six had six people. Period. No matter how much people. You cut it. Yeah, we had six people that all were used to making. We want to say six figures. You could average that. Yeah, average of six figures for six people, and. We're basically starting with our own personal emergency funds. Uh, and so that was a little nerve wracking. And honestly, I think we were hoping we could start paying ourselves in January, but we knew that that might not happen. So even, even though some of us had a uh, self-fulfilling emergency. Yes. I, mean, it was, I guess it was, uh, sorry, self-inflicted. It was a self-inflicted self emergency. Yes, that's right. Self-inflicted emergency. So there were, you know, different motivations behind getting this thing to work. But one of the things I think we did do at the beginning, which I think was key, is that we went all in. I think um, I see people starting companies and kind of trying to, you know, one foot in, one foot out, um, do your full-time job and build up the company. And I do think that is probably a smart way to do it 
um, if you've got the resources to get dedicate to the new venture. But on the other hand, it takes so much work to get the company up and running. There's so many things to consider that I think I'm, I, we're glad that we really didn't have a whole lot of options to fall back on because it, it caused us to put everything that we had into starting the company. That's a, that's a good way. I, and personally, I kind of, I mean, I didn't burn bridges at companies I didn't work at yet or anything, which would have been a fallback. But the, I, something stuck with me. Maybe that'll be my thing. Every one of these, I'll talk about something I read once that stuck with me that I probably took the wrong way. <laughs> something stuck with me that I read in a guitar magazine in high school. Um, and it was about Eddie Van Halen hearing about what his backup plan or talking about what his backup plan was if he didn't become a rock star. And he said he did not have one. There would have been nothing. It was either it was either become famous and make money playing music or nothing ever. And and for me, it wasn't about, you know, that sort of aspiration, but it was like this company works or it's nothing. And I'm going to burn everything I have to the ground until it does. Um, and then start thinking about backup plans, but not concurrently because you end up with your backup plan at that point. Yep, and you maybe give up too yeah. easily on the um, on the, on the big plan because you've got that backup plan. I mean, I know when I first lost my job before joining um, Core, I had some time in between there where Core hadn't started yet. We weren't really all sure what we were doing. I was fortunately able to do some contract work which was helpful, but I have heard time and again people that have said there really was not a plan B. I mean, obviously you'll come up with one when you need to, but going all in, I think, on the initial plan is really what drove us um, drove us at the beginning. Back to the topic, to topic real quick on how we did, decided to fund by taking the bad option, but it, what we felt was our only option, which is to borrow money from family. Number one priority was paying that money back. Um, that was that was huge, um, and that came. I mean, yeah, we started paying ourselves salaries, but there was absolutely going to be nothing extra, and anything besides that that could you know was going to go back to them. And it was you know it was really fast. I think everyone got their money back within three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and to date, when the company started, iPad ones had just come out. So we bought the people who loaned us money got iPad ones. They got hats, they, they, and they got all the swag that we'd ever bought for the company at that point, along with their twenty five percent. So it ended, that ended up being good for everyone. We didn't have to deal with the bank and get denied for months and forever. Probably um, they made a little bit of money, and they have our, our logo on some of their apparel at this point. Oh, that's right. It's, which is a huge bonus. Yeah, and it, I mean, being able to have family that were able to contribute, um, I remember back then as well, a few of you guys had folks that were able to, um, to put in some money initially, and I know that's what got us through some of those early days. So, And, and because of that, uh, I do that now for people if I really believe in them. Um, and, and, you know, think it's going to come back, but I definitely feel like paying that forward is a, I feel like because now I, I, I need to do that now because I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I'll make this very clear. That is not an invitation for anyone who hears this to ask to borrow a bunch of money. Uh, your email address is, <laughs> <laughs> you can actually just uh, send a, him a PayPal request. Everything extra I have right now is out. <laughs> Uh, and I'm expecting it back in the next couple of years. Very clear. So come to me in a couple of years when it all's paid back. But uh, you know, that's that's the way it should work. You should, you know, if somebody does. If, I mean, the people that loaned us the money don't need favors from us still. Right. Um, but new people that are in our position from that time 
they need it. And uh, it, it really helped that people believed in us and were willing to, uh, you know, not invest. It was just a loan. Um, make that very clear. Mm -hmm. um, just keep it alone. Don't have anybody else own part of your company if you can possibly manage it. Um, I know that there's a reason for it in a lot of industries and a lot of businesses. Uh, but in, in a service industry like this, don't go that shark tank route and go out and, you know, I'll get really big if I find somebody to own <laughs> to own the company instead of me. Right. Just just suck it up and just be small and grow organically. Yeah, growing organically, I think, is the key. And I do think that your point that not every business has the luxury of doing that because some businesses, they have a big initial outlay of capital and money they have to spend to buy products, sometimes you know, the whole spend money to make money sort of thing. Um, but one thing that is a little bit unique about us, and we talked about this in the first episode, is that we don't have this big hierarchy of bosses and managers, is that every single person that started this company had the potential to bill to a client and served the purpose of generating revenue directly. Now, that is also not something that I would imagine everyone can do. However, I do think that there are some things that we will talk about in future episodes, our recommendations for where to save money when you are forming a company, that I think while we did make a lot of mistakes, there are certain things we did do right um, about outsourcing the right things not hiring a lot of overhead, at least not at first, and honestly, not even now, um, as far as on-staff employees. We don't have any on-staff employees. Yeah. Right. Everyone we have um, can generate revenue for the company. But we definitely lost a lot of money by trying to save money, and that's something we can go over in a future one. What types of professionals to hire Yes. that cost money that will save. You know, it's just like hiring. It's like trying to be your own lawyer or or um, trying to be your own accountant or your own a tax attorney, you're not saving a dime <laughs> right. unless, unless you have those skills and that's what you do. Right. And, uh, and, and on that note, a little bit, fortunately, what we do was um, one aspect of what we do was to some extent able to help with some of the things we needed as far as starting a new business, um, branding, building a website, um, logos, all that sort of thing. We were able to do that ourselves because our business has a graphics component to it. Um, so, you know, there are areas, depending on what your business is, that you may be able to just do some of that initial work yourself uh, and definitely save money. We were not itching to go hire a company to build all of our branding and website uh, stuff. That's another initial cost that we were able to, to do internally. Um, do you think that we talked a little bit about um, the type of business we are. Um, we are a consulting business and we consult for attorneys in large litigation matters. The benefit of the market that we are in is that when we work on a project, they're usually large projects. So would this have worked if we were a volume-based service company where we had to have Lots and lots and lots of different engagements, different clients. Um, would it have worked? Or if it would have worked, would it have worked as quickly as it did for us? Oh, I think it would have been a lot more difficult uh, to do it like that. Uh, because when we went out, we weren't sure about any clients. And none of us wanted to do actual marketing. Um, but, you know, I think I touched on this before about how 
we, we didn't start in a vacuum from nothing. And so we knew what we did and we knew what types of projects we did. And, and that's, we sort of had that eye, you know, when we started the company, even though we weren't sure, we could have ended up doing a lot of small projects. But um, the thing about, the thing about what the legal industry, when you're a, a service company for attorneys who are going to trial, you can have all sorts of stuff in your pipeline and every bit of it will explode in your, a bit of it will explode in your face um, and just be gone and you'll make no revenue off of it at all. Um, so that's, if you have a whole lot of volume, I guess that could sound like it would be better. Um, but talking about these large projects we were doing, that definitely helped with paying off the loans a lot faster. Um, yeah. Because, you know, if one thing that doesn't go away is going to, you know, is going to take care of quite a bit more time and a lot more people. Yeah, so the stakes can be a lot higher. For instance, when we would get a project in the door, it would occupy all of us to an extent. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas, and when I talk about a volume-based business, I would think, well, maybe this is a, these are for shorter trials where you only need one person or one or two people. Most of the trials we were used to doing and hoping that we were going to continue to be able to do were large enough matters that all of us were going to be able to work on them, some facet or another. So then there was the concern about, well, we've left our company. We really don't have any clients. We have relationships. But what we don't have is anyone who, number one, knows what we're doing. And number two, we can't reach out to anyone and tell them. Um, that's common, non-solicit business knowledge that we knew going Rest into it. Restrictive covenants. Restrictive covenants. You cannot... Phrase I wish I didn't know. <laughs> You cannot just go and um, track down your clients from your previous company and say, hey, by the way, um, would you like to come do this? So what we were counting on is that we had built these relationships over the years that people would try to find us uh, when they realized that we weren't available to do work for them. And fortunately, that happened um, without taking too long, and we were able to get a fairly large engagement pretty quickly, and then started getting some smaller engagements along the way. I, I think in 2009, when we first started, we really only had one large engagement before the end of the year. But fortunately, it was a sizable one, and um, it helped us, along with the other small ones that we got, um, get through 2009. Now, I think we had all decided, we started the company in September of 2009, that we weren't going to pay ourselves at least until January of 2010. So our hope was that let's get these cases going. Let's um, hope that we can build up enough revenue that when January rolls around, we'll be able to pay off the loans and any other expenses that we built up and then still have some left over for ourselves. Um, and then determine what we were actually going to be able to pay ourselves. And I think that we learned some hard lessons um, during that time um, and actually for quite a while after that, and I think that these are some valuable points to make, invoicing. We learned the hard way that you need to invoice frequently or you're going to run into cash flow issues. Invoice everything like your hair is on fire. That was what I, that's what I would always uh, say. There are any number of reasons why you might think you might put off invoicing. Well, this is a, 
know, this is only half of this uh, project. You know, the other half will be in a few weeks. It probably would just be tidier if we would invoice it all at once. Well, maybe so, but big companies and um, the clients that we were dealing with, they're not necessarily concerned with tidiness as much as we are concerned with actually surviving. Mm -hmm. So what we found is that, as Eric mentioned, invoice, invoice, invoice. You invoice as soon as you can because you do not know how long it's going to be before you get paid. Um, one thing that we realized after you can create all the letters of engagement that you want, you can have as many contracts as you want, but what you are not going to find out until you actually do it is you're not going to find out how long it's going to take for you to get paid. Every client's different. They all have different processes in place. The bigger the company, sometimes the more bureaucracy, the more approvals that need to happen, and your livelihood depends on getting paid. So the last thing that you want to do is wait to invoice. Um, I think that would be probably our number one bit of advice. Yeah, if I could and think it's of thing, it. And, and you know, and when we learned that, we'd made there were mistakes on that for years. Uh, that it really it turned around cash flow tremendously when that happened, um, and the mistakes we made on that waiting for it to be tidy, waiting for all the information to come in to make it make sure it's perfect. Well, you can make sure they're right um, without obsessing over it to a certain extent. But we had uh, times where invoices didn't go out. Large invoices didn't go out. And on those were expenses to employees who had traveled, uh, to vendors that had done things. Those had to be getting paid. So, I mean, you're talking large negative amounts of money that were idiotically lost. Right. Um, so stay on top of that. Uh, you know, we talk about having professionals handle things, never lose at least, you know, your 35,000 foot view, get at least down to 5,000 feet above that. You might not be able to do all the, the details of, uh, what you do with QuickBooks and things, but pay attention to a high level of what's coming in and what's going out at all times. Henry Ford used to talk about not wanting all the accounting rules and having a barrel money that comes in, goes into a barrel when you have to pay for something, you pull it out of the barrel and you pay for it. You can look at it like that. You actually can have that sort of that 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 sort of mentality with uh, with everything that comes, you know, your, with your accounts payable and your accounts receivable. Keep that up, and but that's another piece of advice for a different show: is don't unless you're an accountant, don't get into the weeds on that. That's true, and I think one of the things that we started doing a little bit later in the process was. You know, uh, it's easy to compartmentalize roles at the company. Um, you know, if um, I'm going to be working on this um, consulting aspect, and if you over here can work on invoicing and you can work on this, it's really beneficial for the leaders in your company to be aware of what's going on. And because the project that you may be working on that someone else is not working on, you may have some particular insight as to... Um, some aspects of that that mean that you're going to be the best person to keep track of invoicing, keep keep track of communicating with certain clients or the administrative teams of certain clients um, to determine where things stand and checking in. And do not be afraid to check with your clients on your payment. Um, it is not um, unfair for you to expect to be paid for the work that you do. And even though each client that you get when you're a small company is extremely valuable, um, you still need to feel comfortable asking them 
for a timing on when you're going to get paid. It's, you know, um, it's just, it, you, you will not survive without it. And as Eric mentioned before, our business in particular, we could be ramping up for something that's going to take up five to 10 of our employees for the next two or three months. And in an instant, it can go away and not, not necessarily where we have time to do something else. Instead, it can go away the instant that we all get there and we have turned down other work or we have reallocated resources or we've had to bring in contractors. It can all go away in an instant um, without us knowing. So the things that you can do when you can do it are invoicing, communicating with the client about timing, staying on top of billing in general. Um, so we've talked a little bit about initial funding. I think um, for our next show, uh, it might be worth discussing some of the things that you have to think about when you started the company and are hoping to simulate working for a larger company, such as what about health insurance? Can we start that right away? What about retirement? What about just human resources tasks in general, admin, um, all of that sort of thing? We were all practitioners at the job that we were used to doing. So none of us really had those skills. We could do bits and pieces here and there, but it required a strategy. And I think for our next episode, we'll talk a little bit about that strategy and what we ended up doing and some mistakes that we made, but some things that we're still doing to this day that we think we got right. Anyway, thanks for listening to episode two, and we will see you next week.